0: It's difficult to know how to introduce yourself with I am statements. I don't know if you have ever written a bio for yourself and found it super awkward to try and describe, what do you put? Do you put your CV? Do you put your accomplishments? And so I decided to go onto Instagram and read some of your bios and see what you wrote. And uh, let's see if you can guess who this is. I love Jesus. I love my husband. Proud mom of five. Love my church. Worship pastor. Music is life. (laughs) <laughs> Try this one. Musician, be good, look good. I stand for music without limitations. Zay. <laughs> <There. laughs> be good, look good. <laughs> uh, I like this one, becoming human. That's Jade, as I like that one. That could be all of ours. I think we might all go home and change our bios. And this guy is so cool, he just goes, that's his bio. He's the closest to Jesus. He is what he is, eh? Just like that. Slater. Slater. (laughs) Too cool to tell you who I am. (laughs) Some of them were just blank, though, so I don't know if that was even cooler. I wonder what Jesus would have written for his bio, like carpenter, teacher, good shepherd, son of God. We're in the middle of the I Am series where Jesus is saying who he is. But it's not like a bio where he could say, yeah, I'm kind, I'm good, I'm a good shepherd. Funnily enough, good shepherd wouldn't have been in his bio because he never dealt with sheep at all. Uh, he was a carpenter. He worked with wood. He worked with his hands. He built things. And so we are in the I am statement series of things that Jesus said I am, but it's a different kind of I am statement to just describing himself. This is an I am statement that is more like an illegal sense. We've... Most of you would have experienced sitting in a wedding where you say, who gives this bride away? And they say, I do. It's that kind of I am statement, I do statement. It's me. I- I'm the one. That is, in answer to that question, it's me. So we've uh, got a daughter who needs to go to Home Affairs and get her ID document. And the first time you get an ID document, you can't just rock up even with your birth certificate, because how can you prove that it's your birth certificate? You have to come with people as witnesses to who you are, and specifically with the parents that are, whose ID numbers are on your birth certificate. So we have to go with Kiara to Home Affairs, and they'll say, are you Jackie, Mary, Mungavin, ID number, da, 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 I am. Are you Richard, and is this Kiara that was born to you? Yes, it is. So these are the kind of I am statements that Jesus is making. They are in answer to the question. When his disciples are saying, we don't know the way to the Father, Jesus is saying, I am the way. It's me. And so they are much more consequential statements. What's more than that is even saying I am has incredible significance in the context to which he's saying it. Because when God first identified sort of at the Beginning of time, in terms of him having a nation that he called his own, and in terms of him calling people to himself, he identified himself, and the personal name he gave was "I am." It's in a sense we often give people personal names that that we want to define them, like our son Titan, Tyden. Tyden means warrior. We want him to be a warrior. Or, or Jada Grace. Obviously there's something, there's a connotation that comes with that name. And God's personal name that he identifies himself as I am. I exist. All things exist through me. I, I will be what I will be. So when Jesus rocks up and starts claiming I am the way, I am the truth, it has great significance because he's identifying himself with the personal name of God. So when he says good shepherd, what, to, in what context is he answering? In what context is he saying, it's me, I am the good shepherd? He's speaking into a context where there are other people claiming to be shepherds, other uh, organizations claiming to be shepherds, other philosophies claiming to be shepherds, and he's speaking into that context, and he's identifying himself as the good shepherd i.e. different from all the other people and things that are wanting to shepherd you. There is a, a well-known verse that's quoted all over the place about Jesus coming to give us life in abundance. Uh, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and life in abundance. I wanted to read it to you in a, a certain, the Passion Translation, and it goes like this. A thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy but I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. He's identifying himself as the kind of shepherd that is going to shepherd you towards life. So I want you to think about what things may be shepherding us, what things are calling us, because in the world, everybody wants a piece of you. Everybody wants something from you. Everybody has an agenda for your life, whether it's your parents or your teacher or your girlfriend or your doctor or your insurance broker. People want a piece of you, and they want something for you and from you. They want you to do something. They want you to be something. And so often, the, the, what they're shepherding us towards is, is not life. They're not designed to be our shepherd. They might be able to be shepherd with us into life, hopefully, if they are uh, parents and your girlfriend and you're this and you're that, that you want to come with you, but they can't be the ones that are leading you into life because there is only one good shepherd. I want you to listen to what some of the false shepherds in our society are saying. See if you can identify, you can name them. I'm not gonna name them. I'm just gonna tell you what they're offering you and what it's gonna cost you. You're being offered entertainment, but it's costing you time, and it's subtly transforming your way of thinking about everything. You're being offered connection, but it's costing you intimacy. You're being offered relief, but it's costing your long-term health. You're being offered distraction, but it's costing you reality. You're being offered untapped sexual gratification, but it's costing you any meaningful sexual relationship. You're being offered peace and tranquility, but you're being left anxious and empty because there's no truth on which you can anchor your peace. So Jesus says, a thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy, but I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness, until you overflow. He's identifying himself as the good shepherd that is able to lead you into life. So because Jesus is answering a question, I want to go specifically into the story. So chapter 10 is where he's talking about being a good shepherd in in the, the gospel of John. John is one of his disciples. Uh, wrote everything about what he thought was worth passing on to us in a short, in a short letter to let us know what Jesus did. So that's chapter ten, but it sits after chapter nine, chapter eight. There's a whole lot happening, and in the beginning of chapter eight, Jesus arrives into Jerusalem for a week-long festival, and this week-long festival, Jesus is using as his home affairs moment. He's coming into Jerusalem to identify who he is to say exactly who is, I think a lot of people I've heard and heard growing up that Jesus was good. He did do a lot of miracles. Very few people in the world who have any historical um, savvy doubt that Jesus was good or that he was a miracle worker. But there is a lot of question around, but he didn't actually say he was God. He didn't actually say only him. And so that seems to be where the world is able to add shepherds. To them, And so I want to work through the statement because this is the moment, these chapters are the moments where Jesus comes into Jerusalem and it's his home affairs moments. He wants to say, this is who I am. It, it is me. Not I am a lover of music as well as all these other people. No, you're looking for the guy. It's me. You're looking for the anointed one. These people, Jerusalem, it was a feast where they would have gathered from all around the country, come together. They had been waiting for centuries for the Christ, the anointed one, the one that that God was going to send to them that was going to save them. That's what they've been waiting for. And he's coming to identify himself. And so it's in these weeks that he, in this week, that he is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And all the other I am statements that are going to come through in this series. There Right early on in, in chapter 8, verse 25, the people are really confused. He's talking, he's preaching, and they ask, Who are you? They asked. So it's in this, he, they, he's in the temple, and where does he go to identify himself? He's not preaching uh, in the marketplace or in, behind closed doors, he goes to the temple. To the home affairs of the day. That's where he must identify himself. That is where they've been waiting for the Christ. So he goes to the temple. He presents himself to the authorities, and he tells them who he is. And the people are a little bit confused. Who, who is this guy? Could he be the Christ? This is what he's saying. And they ask him multiple times during this chapter, are you the Christ? Are you who they say you are? And he keeps answering, I'm telling you who I am. If you what, if you could hear me, you would believe. And he answers them multiple times that he is the one. And he says to them, once you've lifted me up, you'll know that I am. He uses those words, I am. And he's specifically referring to once you've lifted me up, once you've crucified me, then you will only know who I was and who I am when I am risen from the dead. And the, they get confused. They say, who's trying to kill you? What are you talking about? Who's lifting you up? And uh, and the authorities send people to arrest him. And the guys who are sent to arrest him end up listening to his preaching and, and following him. And the people are asking themselves, if there was a Christ, what more would we want? What more would we ask ourselves for him to identify? What were we looking for? And so often we... We have this experience where we're expecting something and we're given everything we were told to expect, but because we're expecting something else, we, we struggle to make those things connect. And that is what's happening in the temple at that time. And Jesus says, the Pharisees get involved on multiple occasions, and the Pharisees say to him, it's, it, it can't be valid because you're testifying about yourself. So if it was a home affairs moment, where's the Father? Where's the father that says, this is my son, he's the one. And Jesus says to them, if I glorify myself, I agree with you. My glory means nothing. But my father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. And here's the trouble Jesus is having. The people who claim to be following God the Father can't hear him. They can't recognize his documents. They don't know the father. So this is like when you come to home affairs with your birth certificate and they say, no, 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 we don't remember issuing these birth certificates. And you say, no, for sure, for sure, I got that birth certificate from home affairs this many years ago, and the very department that is supposed to recognize it is incompetent and unable to recognize it. That doesn't happen here, but in the temple, (laughs) that is what's happening. They weren't recognizing the father's testimony. And so Jesus says to them, very truly, this is in John 8, verse 58. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus said, before Abraham was born, who they claiming as their father, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Friends, if you have ever believed the lie that Jesus never claimed to be God, Please can you believe it today? Please can you believe the truth that he is, that he claimed to be God, that he is one with his Father, and that if they were able to hear his Father's testimony, if they were true followers of the Father, they would have known who Jesus was. And so Jesus does what we all do when we're stuck with home affairs. We come up with other ways to validate our testimony, and so, Jesus, so perhaps in home affairs, we'd have to go for blood work or something if they're not going to believe that we are who we say we are. Jesus steps out of the temple the very next day, and there is a blind man. And his disciples say, Shame, why was this guy born blind? And Jesus said, It was for this very moment. This guy was born blind as my witness. Because right now, I'm going to, and he heals the guy, heal in front of everybody, heals him. The, he is healed, his eyes open. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and he comes back into the temple, and the Pharisees don't know what to do with him because it is yet more proof that Jesus is who he says he is. But they don't want to believe it. They're trying everything to not believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And so they say to the guy, well, who, who is? what's going on here? Who healed you? And the guy gets a little bit cheeky with him. He says, oh, you asked me so many questions. Would you also like to become his disciple? And they end up throwing him out of the temple and saying, you you don't belong here. And it's in this moment that Jesus claims to be the good shepherd. He goes to the man and he says, do you want to know who I am? And the man says, I do. And he says, I am. And he turns to the Pharisees, compares himself to the Pharisees. He's talking to the man who was healed. He's talking to the Pharisees who claim to be shepherds of the people. And he's talking to the people who are so confused whether to follow their shepherds who are not leading them to life, or whether to follow this new man who is claiming to have come from the Father. And it's in this context that we read the story of him claiming to be the good shepherd. John 10. No? John 9. What? Put it up for for me. (laughs) Uh, John 10. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gates, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gates is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. Here he's saying, the father has validated me. That's what makes me the shepherd. And the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, He goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. He's calling the guy who's believed him that he's healed one of his sheep. He says, they'll follow me because they know my voice they don't recognize your voice because you're not authenticated. You didn't come through the gates. The father has not called you to be shepherds of these people. And he tells it in a different version because the Pharisees are not understanding it to make it a little clearer. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, bad shepherds. And the sheep have not listened to them I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. They'll come in and go out and find pasture. There's going to be freedom. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. So he's obviously talking to a a Jewish flock and he's saying, I'm going to include other people who are non-Jewish. I must bring them also, and they too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. And the Jews who heard these words again were divided. Many of them said, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But there were others who had seen the authentication and said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And so some of them are able to see that there has been time after time, sign after sign, testimony after testimony, witness after witness that this guy can only be who he says he is. And unless you don't want to be his sheep and you don't want to follow him and you want to follow a different way, you're going to have to accept that he is who he says he is. His testimony is confirmed multiple times. So I want to look at three things that we get out of this passage. And the first is that the shepherd is the gate. He says, I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. That is not a a strange concept. It's not a mixed metaphor to the people who were listening because uh, the way that they would build a sheepfold in those days is there would be a circle of rocks piled up on, on each other to make a wall and then a gap where the gate would be. Uh, would. there wouldn't be a wooden gate, it's not a high timber area, and uh, if there was wooden structure it would easily be stolen if it was out in the hills. And so the shepherd, the safest thing is for the shepherd to be the gate. So the shepherd would put his flock in, call them in at night, and then sleep in the gateway. And he would lie there. And if the shepherd is the gate, it's, it's narrow, understandably. There's only one way in. And these days we don't like the idea of narrowness. But Jesus is not saying you can wander the fields or there's one narrow gate, as we often he, he is made to sound as though he's being unreasonable, he's being intolerant, but he's comparing himself to the Pharisees. They're saying, I'm the shepherd, I'm the gate. And I think these days, so often we think that tolerance is accepting everything, but there's no such thing as true tolerance, because even those who are championing tolerance are intolerant of intolerance everybody is standing for something like I said earlier on everybody wants a piece of you everybody wants you to believe something do something pay something I mean we all know our money is expected to go 30 different ways well probably 100 different ways and everybody is calling for a different part of our money everybody's calling for a different part of our time everybody is calling for a different part of our, our to shape our life philosophy to transform us to make us believe certain things everybody is all of the all of the options are there but they none of them are believe all of it you have to choose a gate you have to choose a way you cannot walk in multiple directions at once it's not possible and so Jesus is not setting himself up against tolerance on the contrary Jesus as a narrow way is the most tolerant gate in the world because anybody can come through there anybody there is no pre qualification to coming through the gate of Jesus other than hearing his voice, which means choosing to follow him. Hearing Jesus is the gate and saying, okay, that is all it takes. That is the requirement for Jesus being the gate that you follow. We love options, and options are great when the options are great, <laughs> when you go to a restaurant and there are multiple options on the menu and you really want the right one and you say to the, to the waiter, what is good here? And it's terrible when he says, it's all good. That's not what you want to hear. I want to know what is the right option. And you know that there's a right option when the guy opposite you gets that. Then you know, you see, I knew there was a right way. But options are great when options are great. Options are not so great when the other options are not so great. We, the more desperate we get, we, the more we want to know the way. What is the truth? When you go to, I'm sorry if this is a sense of example to, to some people, I'm sure it, it can be, but when we go to an oncologist, when we're, when we're desperate, we want to know the way, and it is so unhelpful when the oncologist says, well, you have this option, or you have this option, and these are the pros, and these are the cons, or you have this option, and you don't want to hear that. You want to hear the way. But the trouble is, there isn't a way in that situation. There are options, and the different options can lead to different things, and there is no obvious option. But there are times when it's not one good option versus another good option, or one great option versus another great option, or one horrible option versus another horrible option. There are times when there is only one way out, when we're stuck in a burning building, and This room has not set fire, but there's no exit to that room. And a fireman comes in in a suit that is able to handle it. And he says, this way out through the flames. And we say, but this way looks much more desirable right now. I think I want to go into this room. And he says, I am the way out. You don't have options right now. You have no options. I am the way out. I'm the only one that can go through the fire to life with you. There is only one shepherd. Listen to me, friends. There is one shepherd that has gone through death for you and to life. There are no other ways through death. There are ways to peace now. There are ways to a happy life now. But you will be trapped in a room that has no escape. There is only one way through the fire and out. There is only one way through death and out. Jesus is the gate. And yes, it's narrow, but it is the only way out. And the other things that are offering you a way out are just as narrow, but less successful. The shepherd is good. The shepherd is good. The good shepherd is lying in the gateway, able to protect you because he will fight to the death for you. He says he compares himself to the hired hands. He compares himself to the Pharisee who chucks out the guy when they disagree. he's disagreeing with them. Ah, oh, your healing is inconvenient to our philosophies. Out you go. The good shepherd will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will fight to the death for you. The good shepherd will bleed on the doorposts for you. The good shepherd will not take a lamb for himself, but will lay down his life like a lamb for the sheep. The shepherd's voice is noble, friends. I think that's my my third and and key point this morning. The shepherd's voice is noble by you. You don't have to be clever. It's knowable by the sheep. It's not knowable by the, the the clever, I don't know what's cleverer than sheep, everything. <laughs> it's knowable by the sheep. It's knowable by us. We are able to know his voice. He wants to speak to you. He closes off after he's, that whole long chapter that we, he read explaining to himself, the Pharisees continue to question him. And he, He says this, uh, and and the Jews, they're they're still confused because it's just such a big thing to believe, you know, that this is God standing in front of them. And so in John 10, verse 24, the Jews who were gathered there around him say, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, just tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me. I'm giving you as much evidence. I'm telling you, I'm giving you evidence. The Father is talking, but you do not believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. But I and the Father are one. And again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works, many miracles from the Father. For which one of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Friends, if you've ever believed that Jesus did not claim to be God, you have been confused, mistaken, lied to. It's simply not true. Multiple times he was killed for claiming to be God. And he was, they tried to stone him and arrest him multiple times for claiming to be God. Jesus knew exactly who he was speaking to. He knew the words that meant I'm God to them. And it was I am. Not only I am, but I am the good shepherd. I am the leader of these people. Our dog bear. When there's a storm, he runs around barking like a a maniac. I think he thinks that he is protecting us from the storm. And so far, he has never failed. Not one storm has killed us to this day. He's managed to get rid of all of them. But he runs around like a crazy, crazy dog, up and down, chasing. But the trouble is, where does lightning come from? Where does thunder come from? He's so confused. He's run, it's everywhere. And then he's at the back of the house, and he's heard it, but it's in the front. And he's running everywhere. And I think sometimes, if you reverse it slightly, we are like sheep like that, and the lightning is shepherding us. And the thunder is shepherding us. And we're getting the voices that say, pay this and do this and try this and pray more and re- do a bit more meditation. And if you could just get this pose right, then you'll be fine. If you, then you'll have peace and light a candle and take a little bit of this. And you must follow this and you better do this and you must study that. And we're running around like we're being shepherded by lightning, friends. I am. Just shh. I am. The good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And he introduces himself like this. If you'll just close your eyes for a second. When he speaks about himself as a shepherd earlier on in a psalm, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I'll lack nothing. I'll want for nothing. He shepherds us to lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. He refreshes our soul. Friends, we are not shepherded by the lightning and thunder of the world, by the 10,000 voices that are shouting at us. We have one shepherd. A sheep can't drink from running water. Did you know that? A sheep won't drink from moving water because it's afraid it'll fall in. And so the shepherd will lead you to still water. He has written his words. If you want to hear his voice, he's written them. They are in a still place. They're not moving around. They're not running. They're written on paper in your home that you can hold in your hand and you can hear his voice. And he will lead you. He will shepherd you. He will guide you. He will comfort you. He will refresh you. He will give you everything that you need because he is the good shepherd that you were looking for.